And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Muddy Media. The heating's on, it's getting darker earlier and earlier, so why not cheer yourself up this November with a subscription to The Athletic for just £1 a week. For only 100 of your English pence every seven days, you'll get unrivaled analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, plus a breaking news service and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts. Sign up today at theathletic.com slash totally. Totally Football Show European Edition today. Sane old story in Der Klassiker as Leroy helps Bayern beat Dortmund. There's Covid chaos in Syria. Real Madrid get burnt by Soler. And in France, PSG make light of their absentees with Moyes keen to show he can cut it at the sort of elite level. This is the Totally Football Show European Edition in association with Paddy Power. Welcome along, listener. Matt Davis-Adams filling in for Jimbo this week. Other than that underwhelming substitution, we're at full strength. Rafael Honigstein is here. Hi, Rafa. Hi, Matt. Mi amigo de mucho tiempo, Alvaro Romeo, is on board. Hola, Alvaro. Hola, Matt. How are you? Very well, thank you. All the better for talking to you. Uh, it wouldn't be a European pub without James Horncastle. Ciao, Bella. Bello, not Bella. Bella. Oh, <laughs> he's got long hair, but still. <laughs> yeah. Going in two-footed early on uh, on Jules with that Moisey Ken comment there, man. Yeah, yeah. I thought I'd try and sneak it in there, but obviously I haven't got away with it. Um, yeah. Last but not least, the ever formidable Julian Laurent. Hi, Jules. Bonjour. Um, to kick us off, let's have a moment of the week from each of you, please, Jules. As we were with you, you can go first. Can I pick someone from the um, second division? Geoffrey Couffo, who's the right back at Valenciennes, who scored four goals. Four goals for a right back. None of them on penalties in the, uh, in the game at the weekend. I thought it was, it was just fantastic. That's why I thought I would mention him. That's it. Wow. If Matt thinks Moisey Ken scoring goals for PSG is elite level sort of, imagine what he thinks of, of Ligue 2. Uh-huh. I spent a lot of time commentating on League Dirt and yeah, um, not not great days. I've got to be honest. It's a bit kind of Alan Turing, nil one, nil one, one nil, nil nil nil. Lonely Friday night. There are some great right. games in France this week. Four four. There was the Derby du Rhone. There was. I mean, yeah. I just thought I'd pick something a bit different, but I mean, how long do we have? Can I? <laughs> I no, I like it. I like it, Jules. It's perfect. Um, you've set the bar high for, for Rafa. And Rafa, I'm not sure you, you can you can match that sensational David Alaba story you bought us last week, but but give it a go. Oh, <laughs> hint of sarcasm. Um, <laughs> Valentino Lazaro with a scorpion kick. Homage to Ibra. Ultimately futile because Gladbach lost, but what a goal. Yeah, it was pretty spectacular. How about you, Alvaro? What stood out for you in La Liga? Well, a hat-trick is always news. A hat-trick from the penalty spot is even more news. And a hat-trick from the penalty spot against Real Madrid, which is what uh, Carlos Soler managed to get. Uh, it's uh, the most newsworthy thing that I can recall and uh, recollect from La Liga this weekend. Yeah, hot stuff. How about you, James? Well, I think the six draws in 10 games, the three nil-nils that we had in Serie A, um, that's, that's a good place to start. But no, I think... Uh, all eyes are very much on Lazio, uh, not only at the weekend, but uh, for the last fortnight, really. Uh, and their results, not their results on the pitch, but off it uh, regarding COVID-19. So I'm sure we'll get to that and explore in a bit more detail in a bit. Excellent. Well, there were some sensational goals scored all around Europe, not least in the Bundesliga. That's our first stopping point. We'll arrive there next. The Totally Football Show European Edition's Moment of the Weekend. Brought to you by Paddy Power. Defences may be looking shaky at the moment, but Paddy's offers are rock solid. If one leg of your 4 plus fold acker lets you down, get a free bet. Max free bet £10, minimum odds 1 to 5 per leg. Online exclusive, no shot bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus, begambleaware.org. Lewandowski, Alaba, Max! Und er macht's, Platte! 1-1! 
So Rafa, just like in the Super Cup back in September, Bayern Munich beat Borussia Dortmund by three goals to two. This time they did it after coming from a, a goal down. Were they worthy winners? They were. They they played pretty well. They were tested and pushed um, quite severely by this Dortmund side. But Dortmund counting themselves a little bit unlucky because they actually had better chances than Bayern. Outscoring Bayern in the XG. Uh, that's something that's only happened once before in the Hansi Flick era when they lost that wild Hoffenheim game 4-1 earlier this season. Um, goes to show just how good Dortmund were, really. Um, Bayern, of course, have the muscle. They have the individual quality. They could have also scored two, uh, at least two more goals. So I think a draw might have been might have been the, the right result. But I guess Dortmund played well enough to not just feel as if sort of there were Bayern's equal on the day, but also to give everyone else hope. That was certainly the the big takeaway in all the, the big German media publications um, saying that this kind of is encouraging. Uh, the Bundesliga is not dead yet. Um, Bayern will struggle to keep the intensity. Uh, Dortmund nearly punished them. And high Liga, as they say in, 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 in Spain. So a really, really good game. And maybe an outcome that is as good as it is for Bayern. It's also good news for the rest of the league in a strange way, even though Bayern won. You wrote a piece for The Athletic about Robert Lewandowski and primarily Raft, which came out on, on Saturday. Obviously, former Dortmund player who scored here. 259 goals in, in 300 games for him. And, and he's been dedicating goals to um, to the great Gerd Muller, who's, who is still obviously a long way behind in the, the all-time goal-scoring charts for Bayern. Yeah, Gerd Müller will probably never be caught, but uh, Lewandowski is giving it a go. I mean, his dependability is just amazing. And I, I considered the other day that, you know, when he moved off to Bayern in 2014, it kind of cemented Bayern's hegemony in, in the Bundesliga, at least, um, to, to get a goal score of this magnitude over from from Dortmund and and effectively stealing him from under the noses of some big European clubs who are also interested is kind of the backbone of their rise back to European superpower status. Of course, along with the likes of Robin and Ribéry, but to have him up front uh, and scoring goals, almost irrespective of who the coach is, what the formation is, what the system is, um, has Bayern um, made almost too big to fail. But, you know, Joshua Kimmich, injured himself in an attempt to foul Erling Haaland. He'll be out until January. Um, Bayern are already out with Alfonso Davis. They missed Benjamin Pavard. So things are getting to the point where their high-energy game is beginning to creak a little bit under the pressures of um, you know not being able to rotate a lot and, and a general lack of freshness, which, of course, um, will only be exacerbated by a lack of rotation in the next couple of months. So I think there is there is enough to suggest that um, Bayern can be get at, uh, perhaps for one or two teams playing on the counter-attack. The question is, can you stop them scoring at the other end? Uh, because when you can bring on Leroy Sané, as you alluded to in your intro, um, as a super sub, it's pretty devastating and demoralizing for the opposition. Um, and we saw even against Salzburg in midweek, you know, Salzburg, created tons of chances, probably did enough to get at least a point out of the game. But then with 20 minutes to go, Bayern make a few substitutions and score four more goals. So it's it's pretty pretty difficult to keep them down, even when they're not quite at their best at the moment. Raf, uh, switching the attention back to Dortmund for one moment. Um, yeah, We've all got used to Erling Haaland scoring yeah, at the same rate that he has done in the Champions League, for example, where he's... What, scoring more than a goal a game. But in this game, although he did get on the score sheet, I was slightly surprised by the positions he either got himself in, either for, for, for a shot or for that final ball. It just didn't happen for him. In, yeah, I agree. Uh, he missed a few. In, in, in the game. Um, I think it's it, it's maybe the kind of high bar that he's really set for himself. But I thought he could have had a hat-trick in this game quite easily. I agree. Yeah, he could have had a hat-trick, although the one shot he dragged wide, I think VR would have intervened if it had gone in. He he looked offside in the sec in the first half it was, yeah. Um but yeah, that was one of the points that Mats Hummels made. You know, we 
we were a little bit unlucky with the way that Bayern took their chances, three deflections, and we were a little bit sloppy stroke, you know, maybe inexperienced when it comes to converting our chances. And I don't think it was an accusation. I think it was just, you know, a, an honest appraisal of Haaland being an unbelievable player, but not quite a Lewandowski. I mean, he still will miss chances. I think he still will will make mistakes. Uh, Dortmund did well enough to put him in, in decent positions, I thought, with uh, Sancho and, and Reina providing some amazing passes. And of course, the pass of the day was the one that led to the goal from uh, Rafa Guerrero, who was um, really sensational for Dortmund. So I think it's it's probably a case of more looking at what he's good at already rather than pointing at flaws of his game. But yes, um, your, your wider point is right, James. You almost kind of expect Haaland to to score more goals and do better. And uh, maybe on another day, he'll be punished as Bayern and uh, we have at least a draw for Dortmund. So after that result, Bayern topped Dortmund in third. In between them, Leipzig, who beat Freiburg by three goals to nil. No Champions League hangover for them this time, albeit I'm guessing this is a game that they were almost expecting to win. It's the sort of game that they have to win if they want to keep going, if they want to put serious pressure on the top two in Bayern and Dortmund. They've been consistent, by and large, in in the league. Um, I think there are signs that they're getting to grips with with juggling, you know, players and and rotating just enough to to have freshness for both competitions. Um, PSG, you know, you'd expect them to beat them. They're all over the place. But uh, then there's Freiburg, <laughs> which is a, a much tactically a much much more difficult um, team to play against. Now, I, I I jest, of course, but no, it's. I think you know the fact that we hardly talk about them is just a sign of their maturity. We we expect them to win. We expect them to to be up there. And the bigger news is when some of the likes of Leverkusen suddenly have put a good run together, even on Union Berlin in, in fifth spot. Because Leipzig, I think, are by now, whether you like it or not, and there are plenty of people, of course, don't for for reasons that we have mentioned many times on the pod. They have put themselves in that third spot, and then it's everyone else trying to to get that fourth one for the Champions League. What is behind that Union Berlin uh, run to fifth, Raf? Because you know, that is a surprise. This is what, only their second season back in the, in the Bundesliga? It is surprising, James. They have been playing football as well. I mean, their first season was built on being quite um, Pomo style. Uh, lots of long balls and then going for the second ball, the layoff. It was quite direct, uh, but very effective now. Um, there was actually combination play, there's movement, uh, and there's Max Kruse, of course. I mean, he's made a big difference. Max Kruse is the kind of guy who, playing as a second striker, makes everyone look good. We saw that at Bremen a couple of years ago uh, when he left, that completely collapsed. We see it now with Union Berlin. He had three assists uh, against Bielefeld. He scored a penalty in that 5-0 win. And he's just that that, that guy who runs the show you know he's always available he always plays the right pass he has a bit of an arrogance a bit of a nasty streak everything that you really want from from such a player the experience and it'd be a little bit reductive to just point the finger at him but certainly he's given Union Berlin a different dimension now the big question is and we we talked about this in our Starkas pod um what will Champions League games look like at Alte Försterei next uh, next season? Um, <laughs> they might have a problem fitting the VIP tents in, into the little grove, uh, the woods surrounding the stadium. Um, yeah, it's um, it's another really good story. And just goes to show, I think, that the league, despite a lot of misgivings when Bayern won it again last year, actually continues to provide good storylines. And those who, who follow German football closely, of course, first and foremost, the people in Germany, um, are beginning to, I don't want to say fall in love with the league again, because there's still it's a diminished love affair at the moment, but at least find that there is you know, still a lot of intrigue and surprise, and maybe not a foregone conclusion in the title race either. Yeah, and another team doing really well at a Bayer Leverkusen. Sounded like a fun game at the, at the Bayer Arena where they beat Gladbach by four goals to three. And Leverkusen, four goals in each of their last three games in all competitions. 31 in 11 games all told so far this term. What's the limit of their ambition? Is it is it Champions League qualification would be about as much as they can hope for? Or can they look a little bit higher than that even? 
Well, I mean, realistically, they they could, of course, try and, and win the Europa League. I think they have they have an outside chance. Um, perhaps didn't quite do themselves justice last year when they were knocked out last uh, season when they knocked out by by Inter quite comfortably. In the league, it's going to be difficult. I think they have at least three teams ahead of them that we mentioned. I think Gladbach also slightly more durable, even though they they lost that game and. For them, you know, if you want to talk about Champions League sort of hangover, that was the kind of game where after this fantastic run, you know, beating uh, Shakhtar, holding Inter and Real Madrid to draw, which two games they also might have won, it was probably the inevitable slight step back that you expect from a team like that. Um, so for Leverkusen, I think, yeah, fourth, fourth is really for them winning. And then there's the, the cup, of course, where they could go far as well, but... There's always going to be a limit to their ambition simply because of the size of the club and the constant pressure on the best players to to move on. We saw that with Kai Havertz and if Leon Bailey and Lucas Alario keep playing as well as they did in this game, then, you know, maybe in January, but certainly in the summer, again, bigger clubs will come in for them. So it's always going to be slightly more difficult for them to hold on to their best players as it is now for Dortmund and, and certainly for Bayern. Uh, last game I want to touch on from the Bundesliga this weekend was the 2-2 between the bottom two, Mainz and Schalke, sharing the points. 23 league games without a win for, for Schalke. Now the world was a, a very different place when they last won a Bundesliga game back in January. Are they trying to put a positive spin on this by saying that they're, they're three unbeaten now? Uh, they don't do that, but they have noted in this particular game that they came back twice from a goal down and actually were much the better side. Now, this is against probably the worst team in the league. So as consolations go, it doesn't really do a lot for them, um, having been a better side against the worst team in the Bundesliga. But, you know, one or two signs that Manuel Baum, the new coach, is having a bit of an impact. Attacking-wise, the game looked a lot more dynamic they created chances they really outshot uh, Mainz and, and could have had a better result so I think the Tasmania Berlin of uh, record of 31 games without a win is still in danger uh, by the Schalke team but I think they might they might be okay um, just not worthy perhaps which was quite um, yeah quite unusual to see Sky Germany the rights holders uh, refer to the game as El Trashico which I thought was an interesting way to put it. Um, just imagine Sky sort of doing the same here in the UK when it's, I don't know, West Brom against uh, uh, Fulham. Um, I'm not sure that the two clubs and the t- <laughs> two sets of supporters would have been very happy. Yeah, it gives a whole new meaning to Car Crash TV. Uh, right, you might not be able to travel around Europe much just now, but you can do it metaphorically with us, which is, uh, if not the next best thing, at least a thing. We're off to Italy next. Do join us. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. If you're not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, take out a 30-day trial to see their unrivaled coverage of each and every Premier League club by heading to theathletic.com slash totally. Uh, James, got to be easier for you admin-wise this week being the only person with that name on the show. Um, before we get specific on the Serie A action this weekend, it being 2020 now, we've got to talk a bit of COVID. Looks as though it's going to have a, a big effect on those Italian-based players who were, who were slated to link up with their national teams this week. Players from Fiorentina, Sassuolo, Genoa, Roma, Lazio and into banned from travelling by local health authorities. What's the word from, from the clubs and the players been in response to this? <laughs> well, on the one hand, coaches are happy um, because they get to keep uh, large swathes of their players uh, for the international break. It means that they uh, get them to rest and recuperate. They might have some time to actually do some training, which uh, you know a lot of managers have been saying is impossible of late. Um, on the other, clubs are unhappy in other regions, um, for example, in, in, in Lombardy, in, uh, in Milan, because uh, th- at this moment in time, the likes of Inter and Milan, there, there is no such uh, prohibition um, stopping them from uh, stopping their players uh, responding to call-ups to their national team. So 
yeah, the chief executive of Inter yesterday, Beppe Marotta, come out and basically say, look, this is going to affect the competitive balance of the league. Um, you know, th- there's no uniformity. Um, yeah, just to give you some insight into into the decisions here, the health authorities in Tuscany basically uh, stopped players from Fiorentina joining up with their national teams after Jose Callejon tested positive uh, for COVID-19. Uh, the same happened in Rome, uh, in the Lazio region, when Edin Dzeko tested uh, tested positive. Um, so plays at Roma, and also yeah, the two teams that they played against um, over the last week have been told that they must stay stay back as well to stop the contagion, stop transmission, which I think was already revealed to be quite a big issue uh, during the last international break. Um, yeah, particularly for a team like Inter, who, who lost Milan Skriniar there one of their best centre-backs. Uh, he tested positive for COVID whilst in Slovakia with his national team and wasn't able to come back until he'd tested negative and, and, and isolated there. So he was away for, for more or less three weeks. But this lack of uniformity, the, 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 it just adds to this sense that there's a very confused situation um, there. And uh, to be honest, I mean, it, it's not entirely surprising given what's happened with Lazio uh, over, the last, uh, over the last fortnight which puts the whole system really in in some sort of jeopardy because it's been it's been front page news at least on the sports sports papers since Thursday um, and uh, has taken some credibility away from from Serie's ability to deal in this environment to negotiate this environment in a way that is is COVID safe. Well, let's talk about about Lazio then. So a whole whole host of players missing against Bruges, then back for the win at, at Torino, and then absent again for the trip to to Zenit. There's talk they could even face relegation from from Serie A as a result of this. Is that likely? And, and <laughs> President Claudio Letito maybe not helping things with with his response, which was not particularly measured. No, Letito's uh, one of the uh, more aggressive owners in, in, in Serie A. He's, he's usually the guy who's in charge of everybody outside of uh, the big six, if you want to use a, a Premier League comparison. He's he's the chief whip of, of, of that group. Um, but uh, you mentioned the fact that there's this discrepancy between you know players testing um, negative for games in Serie A and players testing positive for, for games in the Champions League. Yeah, that's because uh, the tests are done by two separate labs. And again, this whole situation has really kind of exposed some of the, the loopholes, the shortcomings of, of, of Serie A's protocol. In that. For example, with the Champions League, um, every club uh, participating in that competition undergoes a round of tests with the same lab, a SIN lab. Whereas in Serie A, more or less every club can pick and choose which lab they go and get their testing done from. Um, and yeah, Lazio rather curiously have have gone with this lab in in Avellino, so it's not even in their in their region. Um, it's in Campania rather than than Lazio, and uh, this lab has has yeah repeatedly uh, returned negative tests um, for for players who have tested positive in the round of UEFA tests, and that has uh, aroused some suspicion. It's drawn scrutiny. Um, so, for example, you had um, Lazio's training ground and uh, that lab in Avellino, Avellino were raided uh, by by the authorities over the weekend um, to gather as much evidence as they can as an, an investigation has been launched. Um, Lazio, in the meantime, after getting a first opinion, which is the lab in Avellino, a second opinion, which is the lab in UEFA, uh, decided to seek a third opinion, which was a, a separate lab in Rome. And the lab in Rome returned results like UEFA's lab, uh, which the players who tested positive before the Bruges and Zenit games uh, tested positive for the most part again. And those players therefore should uh, not have played against Torino. Um, They should have isolated. They shouldn't have trained. Um, In in some circumstances, they did train, you know, which again raises the question about exposing teammates to contagion, um, exposing opponents to contagion. Um, you know, the, the Torino game, for example, Immobile plays and scores in, in, a, in what turns out to be a 4-3 win. He shouldn't necessarily have been available uh, for, for that game. And if, for example, uh, there, there was an outbreak at Lazio with, with, with lots of players who test positive, and if one of their opponents uh, were to have an outbreak as well, that 
might lead to a, a fixture being unfulfilled, um, adding to you know, more fixture congestion and compromise the ability to finish the season. So uh, it is a very serious um, situation, um, which you know they are hoping to get to the bottom of over the course of this of this international break. In terms of on the pitch, 1-1 between Lazio and Juventus, Felipe Saicedo with a 95th minute equaliser means three of Andrea Pirlo's four away games as a Serie A manager have ended in a draw. Was a point a piece about fair, did you think? Well, I mean, looking at the XG, uh, Juventus created the better chances. Um, Ronaldo, for example, uh, hit the post as well. Um, it was an interesting game because Juventus showed a different side to themselves compared with what we've seen from from Pirlo up until now, uh, which is to be uh, quite cavalier, um, press high, uh, and, and often teams have been able to play through that press and expose um, their their back three or back four, depending on what situation they find themselves in. In this, they they, they decided to sit back essentially and uh, and hit Lazio on the counter attack, and they did that very well for for an hour or so. They they limited Lazio to very few chances um, uh, until the final ten minutes, uh, and then Ronaldo went off, Morata went off, Kulusevski went off. And the players who can really stretch Lazio, who could who could counter and, and, and push the team up the pitch, were no longer there. And uh, they conceded in the 95th minute. So that most Juventus of results, a 1-0 win, eluded them. Um, and, you know, Paolo Dybala got a lot of criticism after the game, more on social media than from his manager, which was, you know, I mean, he kind of casually miscontrols the ball um, as, 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 as Juventus looked to play out. It goes out from a throw-in. And from that throw-in, Lazio scored an equaliser against a set defence, you know, a defence that should do better in that situation. But the story goes to to uh, uh, Felipe Caicedo, who, you know, yet again scores a very late goal to get Lazio points. You know, he did it last weekend in the 4-3 stoppage time win against Torino. He did it against Zenit in the 82nd minute and he did it again in this game in the 94th minute. And, you know, for a team that is is going through, you know, is training and working in a in a really weird environment at the moment, given you know all the the scandal around uh, this testing program, um, for for Inzaghi to get these results with a very limited, depleted team, I think is is again just testament to what a good manager he is. Uh, so Juventus may be disappointed with a draw, Milan. Possibly not, given the circumstances of their 2-2 against Verona. 2-0 down inside 20 minutes, rescuing a point, preserving their unbeaten run thanks to that man's left and again, 93rd minute equaliser for him this weekend. Means they're two points clear at the top going into the international break. But but off the back of that defeat against Lille in the Europa League as well, just a couple of slightly wobbly results as we go into this fortnightly pause. Will they be concerned about it? I think they'll be glad just to have got into the uh, the international break with their unbeaten record, at least in the league, still intact. Um, I mean, it is it is quite amazing. This is the second longest unbeaten run that Milan have been on since you know the Invincibles back under Fabio Capello. To be honest, I was really impressed with Lille on Thursday night. I thought they were excellent, tactically superior to to Milan. Renato Sanchez was was outstanding um, in that game. Um, and, you know, I think we tend to see that teams that go through the preliminary rounds of, of the Europa League and Milan played three of them um, against uh, Shamrock Rovers, Rio Ave, Bodo Glimt, um, that fixture congestion does tend to catch up with teams. Um, and I think it has caught up with Milan to, to, to an extent. So I think this international break will be welcome. Although, you know, as we were talking about earlier, um, Milan are not in a region which has imposed uh, restrictions on players uh, joining up with their national team. So how much of a rest they'll get remains to be seen. Although Zlatan, despite posting a, a photo of him wearing a Sweden shirt the other day, is is not coming out of retirement to play for Sweden. <laughs> not yet, anyway. Um, Jules, w- would you go along with James that that Europa League game was more about, about Lille's quality than, than Milan being subpar? Yeah, I thought they were really good. I thought it was a really good game. Um, I think Lille surprised themselves, to be fair, because they were so so good for a team, for example, who were 2-0 down against Celtic a uh, week before that. But they played so well, Renato Sanchez. I mean, I felt for Tonali, who's clearly slowing getting into that team and the rhythm. And Renato just picked him apart every single time he touched the ball. Yazici was great. I thought Botman at the back was great as well. It was really good. And then Lille go and lose 3-2. 
are best to show <laughs> the strength of this French league and French football. You know, they go and can't beat Brest at the weekend. 3-0 so. down. I, I, 3-0 I, down at halftime or like after 40 minutes. Yeah, I exactly. was so impressed by Lille. I, I was like, I'm going to go look out for their fixture this weekend. And I was like, what? 3-0 yeah, down? Don't do that. Just, just don't do that. <laughs> And <laughs> um, back to Serie A Genoa 1 Roma 3 Alexander Davison has tweeted at the Totally Show to ask are Roma realistic title challenges I suspect you'd rather like them to be James <laughs> well look I think as with Spain and the Premier League at the moment Serie A feels really open um, I, I think we're no closer to knowing who is a genuine title contender than we were at the eve of the season although you know maybe even then we'd look at Inter on paper and and the players that they'd signed and, uh, and would be proclaiming Inter uh, the favourite to kind of take the crown off, off Juventus. But uh, Roma have been really impressive. I, I mean, they're, they're unbeaten um, unless you count uh, the game against Verona, which was a draw, but then a sporting tribunal awarded a win to Verona because there was a clerical error when uh, Roma named their squad and they ended up fielding an ineligible player. Uh, not the best of starts for uh, the new owners at, at Roma, but uh, since then they've they've really kicked on, and uh, Mikitayan has been has been brilliant. Um, you know, looks to be back to his Bundesliga best. The the player that we saw at Borussia Dortmund, who you know justified um, that move to Manchester United. Um, you know, someone who had to carry the attack on his shoulders in some respects in this game because Jekyll was out after he tested positive uh, for COVID nineteen. Uh, they have signed Borja Mayoral, who scored his first goals for the club against Cluj on Thursday. But for Mkhitaryan to get a hat trick, um, and you know, in, in all in all manner of statistics, goals, assists, you know, xG. I mean, Mkhitaryan is having a blinding season, as is Pedro, who's who's signed. So I mean, you, watching Roma to, to to some extent is a little bit like catching Premier League years 2012-13, but uh, it's good and. I think their their defence is, is excellent as well. They've got um, three young centre-backs who are all really good. Um, Rodri Bañez, Marash Kumbula, and also Gianluca Mancini. And then Smaldini. Smaldini made a little bit of a mistake in the Genoa game, but ultimately it didn't cost them. Um, but I think in terms of getting back into the Champions League for the first time in two years, then then it looks good for Roma right now. Uh, Alvaro, James mentioned uh, Boya Mayoral there. He's he's come through the, the Real Madrid youth system. W- what can you tell us uh, about him that, that Roma fans might enjoy watching this season? Yeah, I think that he improved a lot last season player for Levante because uh, a player that age needs to play. I mean, there are, there are so many cases of uh, promising guys who stay at Real Madrid uh, one or two years more than they should. And then uh, by the time they want to catch up with the lost time, uh, it's too late for them. And we have seen them. We, we have seen that. But with uh, Mayoral, uh, last season at Levante, he learned a lot under Paco. I believe that Paco is a manager who does very well the micromanagement as well. So if Mayoral has any confidence issues, I'm sure that uh, Paco would have lifted uh, his confidence as well. And uh, yeah, he's a player who can play as a number nine. Mm, and he does uh, very well in that position but I believe that also he's pretty good when he drops uh, to the sides and uh, he holds the ball as well so it's good news for Spanish football too in all fairness because at the minute um, Spain doesn't have uh, many good number nines I mean Alvaro Morata is probably the, the most famous one but uh, he's inconsistent uh, Paco Alcácer he's uh, recovering his form at Villarreal and then Gerard Moreno he has been good but uh, none of them are great so Having a person like, uh, or a player like uh, Borja Mayoral who can actually become a candidate to play for the Spanish national team, maybe not now, but uh, in a year time, uh, it's great news for us. Samara could be important for Roma going forward. Mkhitaryan certainly looks like he's going to be. We ought to end this section by firing up the Mkhitaryan song. Grande. Okay, I mean, if you've gone to all that trouble to produce a track, you think you might want to get somebody with a little bit of tonality to sing it, but anyway, uh, we can't top that, so let's say goodbye to Syria for now and prepare and grand bonjour pour Ligue 1.
At Paddy Power, we know competition for the remote control can be fierce at the weekends. So, in order to give the non-football-loving occupants of your house something to do, here are some of our top suggestions. Go for a walk. Walk the dog. Walk to the shops. Go cycling. Cycle the dog. Recycle the dog. Just go! All very good options, we say. And that's not the only one. If one leg of your 4 plus fold acker lets you down, get a free bet on all football leagues and all markets. Paddy Power. Max free bet £10, min odds 1 to 5 on each leg online exclusive, exclude shop bets, T's and C's apply, 18 plus begambleaware.org. The Totally Football Shows and The Athletic are delighted to be supporting Football Aid for the months of October and November. Bid now at footballaid.com to get your hands on some incredible football memorabilia, including signed shirts from Steven Gerrard, Gianluca Vialli, Gareth Bale and even Peter Crouch's boots. Find out more, get bidding and support the cause at footballaid.com. France, you'll never believe this. PSG enjoyed a routine home win this weekend, 3-0 against Rennes. Tough this, Jules, for, for Rennes, really, because they'd have that that pretty horrendous experience at Stamford Bridge just a few days before where they played for the entire second half with 10 men. Not ideal preparation to go into to such a big game for them. No, you're right. They were not happy at all by the red card. I mean, German referees, that's what happened when you know you let German referees referee games. Especially at Stamford Bridge, where clearly the lobbying against the referee and you know big club against small club and all of that, the the, the president of Rennes called it a scandal. I don't think no one cared really. I mean, he could have he could have spoken for a long time, but it was just Chelsea won, and then they had to go to Paris, as you said, on Saturday night. A PSG team decimated with injuries, which by the way lost uh, four more players on the night: Kerrer, uh, Gay. I mean, Moise Kane a little bit as well, and Florenzi. So it's just not easy. I mean, PSG have a whole 11 of players out, pretty much. So it was bad, but they won. Di Maria was good. That's the most important because, as we said, Lille lost as well. So now the gap at the top is even bigger. But there's something... I just don't think he's... Everybody gets injured players this season. But with PSG, there's something else. I I don't know. There there must be something else, whether it's Tuchel's... It can't be even two whole training sessions because there's no training sessions. All they do is recover, have light training to prepare for the next game, play, recover, light training. So I don't know why they hit more than others, but they're certainly by far in the big clubs in Europe, the ones that have been hit the most by injuries. Uh, Raf, last week, Jules spoke about the, the relationship or, or lack thereof between Leonardo and, and Thomas Tuchel. You're somebody who knows quite a lot about the inner workings of, of football clubs. I wonder if the... That that breakdown of a relationship could be a legitimate excuse for for players to use as as to why they're maybe not firing on all cylinders in in PSG's case, or is that not something that would filter down to the training ground? I think players pick up on a bad atmosphere. If two leading figures inside a club are are at war, it doesn't make for a happy dressing room, especially if perhaps some of the players are getting the backing of the coach and some players are getting the backing of the sporting director. So. You know, it does filter through, or it can filter through into the uh, team dynamics. But I guess in a wider sense, players, once they, once they start playing, I don't think that they really particularly care what's going on above them effectively. So I'm sure it doesn't help. Does it explain some of the underwhelming performances? I, I'm not sure, but I'm, I'm sure what I'm sure of is that, and I'm, uh, I'm pretty certain that Jules will agree, it's, it's not the sort of thing that helps you when there isn't harmony at all levels in the club. Uh, let's move on to, to Lyon against Saint-Étienne. Jules, I know you've got a lot to say about this. The, the Ruin derby secured by the Zimbabwean Tino Cadawere coming off the bench to get both goals. Seven games unbeaten now for Lyon in Ligue 1. Yeah, 121st uh, derby du Rhône. Without fans, it's obviously like every derby or every game, it's, it was a bit different, but still a very, very eventful night. I mean, Saint-Étienne, who under Claude Puel hadn't won, I think lost their last five before Sunday night, really arriving there, n- n- not in a good run. Lyon a bit better, although there was, there's still a lot of debate over Rudy Garcia, the way he plays, his team selections and things like that. We saw Ryan Cherky, for example, they, they won the kid, not being happy at all by the fact that he doesn't play anymore. Uh, you've got others like Kakre or Bruno Guimaraes feeling a bit the same. Uh, and then when, when Saint-Etienne took the lead earlier on and, and played really well, to be fair to them, in the first half, Lyon was so bad. They were so dreadful that you think, OK, if they lose now, this, this could go crazy. And then in the second half, uh, some of the changes that Garcia made, including Cadevere, as you said, who was, in, who was playing for Le Havre last season. He was the, the top goal scorer in the second division. 
John Leon in, in January, but stayed on loan there, then lost his brother during the summer. Uh, had really tough times. And now he's sort of like an impact serve, sometimes starts, sometimes doesn't, but, but did really well. He said on French television on Sunday morning, I, I had a dream last night that I scored two goals in the derby. And then he came on, scored two goals to win it 2-1. And then in the last minute of the game, Saint-Étienne had a penalty to make it 2-2 and stop their rotten series. You know, everything that had happened the last few weeks, forget it. And then Buanga misses the pen. So it was a, it was a crazy game. Good for Lyon and Rudy Garcia, who buys him some time. And for Claude Puel and Saint-Étienne, who are on a very young project, young in terms of, you know, early project, but also young in terms of the, the, the age of the players in that team. It's crazy. They're still not there yet, and I, I think they could have more problems going forward. But for Lyon, it's, a, it's another win in the derby, and, and it's a good one for them before the international break. Okay, so that was a crazy game. What about the second half between Lens and Rams? One nil at half time, uh, and then try and talk us through what happened in, in the second 45 if you can. Yeah, and I mean, just a bit of background because Lens, because of COVID, had had two games postponed, so they hadn't played for three weeks. So you thought, okay. They're going to play and they, they're, quite, they, they're a team that press high with a lot of energy. They run a lot and you think they will be dead in the last 30 minutes. You know, they, they, they're not, physically, they're not going to be able to cope because they haven't played for three weeks. And they came back to 2-2 with what, 15 minutes to go. Then they went back to 4-2 down uh, with just nine minutes to go and say, OK, this is it. You know, they, they just can't come back now. And then they scored... Uh, two goals in 90th and 91st minute to come back to 4-4. And then they have a penalty in the 95th minute. And you just think like, oh, come on. And then VR cancels the pen, which is a shame. But in fairness, that was the right call. But it was just that one of the most incredible game between Lens and, and, and Reims. And like James said at the beginning, we've had some crazy game. Not as much as the Strasbourg-Marseille one on Friday night, which I think was the best publicity ever for Ligue 1 French football. <laughs> so that, that finished 1-0 to, to Marseille. Happy at times for AVB there. How did uh, the media in France react to his, to his post-match comments after the defeat in Porto? Was it, was it a shit storm? Yeah, I mean, so obviously they got battered in Porto and then they win that game away at Strasbourg where for the first time since Opta uh, working in France, for the first time uh, a team with just one shot that's just one shot in the whole of 90 minutes. Wins a football match. That's it. And that was them. It was Sanson, who scored a great goal, to be fair to him. And Dimitri Payet was involved. They both came off the, the bench. So we said to, you know, AVB at the end, that was, not, that was not pretty. And then he went mad, absolutely mad. What do you expect? Who do you think you are? You know, we won. It's a tough place here to come. But, you know, his team was crap. But yet they won. <laughs> he was right, in fairness. Somehow... Uh, clearly was not good enough for the Champions League as you would know he's good enough for Ligue 1 but yeah it was it was I mean it was so bad I almost turned turn it off I did <laughs> almost <laughs> right final destination on this whistle stop tour of the continent is Spain we'll talk La Liga next looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24-7 US based live customer service from Discover Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. The sounds there of Valencia 4, Real Madrid 1. Um, Alvaro, should we praise Los Murcielagos before we stick the boot into Zizi? <laughs> yes, of course, of course, because Matt, I think that it was supposed to be a really bad time for Valencia, this one. And uh, the, the players and the manager have turned the situation around. Uh, a week ago, or eight days ago, Valencia was losing trailing 2-1 against Getafe. Uh, in a league game that uh, was very important for them. Uh, Valencia was in a huge crisis. Uh, Javi Gracia was really annoyed with the ownership because he never got the players that he was promised he was going to get. 
and uh, Condogbia was set to depart to Atletico de Madrid all that eight days ago. And, uh, you know, that game against Getafe, finally they managed to score a goal, a penalty in the aggregate. Uh, Valencia got a point. Uh, it was considered like a heroic point for the team. Then Condogbia went to Atletico de Madrid. I think that... Uh, that calmed the things down a little bit at Valencia's camp because uh, he didn't train for 16 or 17 days and, uh, you know, uh, he wasn't wanted there anymore. And then Real Madrid was, uh, you know, uh, traveling to Valencia to play a football game. And Valencia managed to get a victory against them. So, you know, they got four points out of the last six and uh, it's been a good week for them because you can see that despite the losses of uh, Francis Coquelin, uh, Parejo, uh, Rodrigo Tulitz, you know, many referential figures have left Valencia this summer. There are still some guys who are there and they take it seriously. Uh, the likes of, for example, Gaya, who is probably the best Spanish fullback at the minute, even better than Sergio Reguilón. Or uh, the likes of uh, Carlos Soler, who scored the hat-trick uh, on a penalty. They are all local guys. They believe they... They believe the, the club should be in a better position. They want the club to be in a better position and they feel very identified. So I think that it has been a really gratifying week for Valencia in that respect because you can see that not only they have players from the academy who take it seriously, but also they have some young guys like Kang In Lee, for example, the guy from South Korea, or uh, Musa, the, the guy who lived in Barking, uh, the guy who was born in the United States, who actually... You know, they, they are great prospects. In fact, uh, Musa has been capped with the United States to play this week, a couple of friendlies. So, you know, uh, little by little, you can see that uh, there are good things as well in Javi Gracia's team. And it looked like uh, that was never going to happen this season. Not so good for, for Real Madrid, though. Here's Yusuf asking, thoughts on Zidane and how long it is till he walks away again? Well, I think that Zidane, you know, if the, if the Titanic sinks, Zinedine Zidane has to be there because uh, he has won three championships with them and uh, three champions league out of 13 must be like more than the 20 percent of all the champions league that real madrid has won in history so they have been won by the same manager full tribute full respect to this manager all right he's got the he's got the right to to get it wrong but in all fairness he's getting some things wrong now for example i think that his uh, policy of heavy rotations sometimes doesn't work because there are players who must be in the uh, lineup all pretty much always the likes of Casemiro or Sergio Ramos or Karim uh, Benzema, Thibaut Courtois, and some others, and some others that you know they they have had a great past as Real Madrid managers. They they don't have a great present, and I wonder if they will have a great future. Like for example, Isco played started against Valencia, and he he looks like a, an ex-player with all due respect to the guy. But uh, you know how he, how does uh, he look like an ex-player in, in the way he looks? Is he is he is he has <laughs> he put on twelve kilograms and sort of well, you know, he, looks... he's, he's got a principle of ponytail, um, you know, which uh, I don't know that doesn't look great to start with. And yeah, I mean, men, men with long hair, really, <laughs> yeah, long hair is yeah. bad. <laughs> I mean, that is just midlife crisis written all over, isn't it? <laughs> when, when was the last time that uh, Isco played a good game? I, I really have to go to 2018 to find a game like that. Um, and uh, it, Even Isco, longer for me. Or, <laughs> and for me too, but Isco or Asensio, they were players that when Real Madrid won the Champions League in 2017, they, they were fundamental in that Real Madrid team. Uh, Asensio, I believe that he scored in that final against Juventus. Isco was probably the best Spanish player three years ago. But, you know, they, they are just not giving the level. And uh, yeah, irrespective of uh, all the things that happened against Valencia, having three penalties against, uh, that Eden Hazard and Casemiro were out due to COVID-19, mm, despite all the little setbacks uh, during the game, Real Madrid was bang average again. They managed to survive against Inter in Champions League, but three, four days later, they cannot translate uh, the good vibes from the Champions League into the league. So, you know, I believe that if the league is won, as I said in, at the beginning of the season, if the league is won by 80 or 85 points, which it looks like, Real Madrid is going to be a contestant and a candidate to win it. But I find it very difficult to believe that in Europe, Real Madrid is going to have any chance, especially if you see games like Bayern, Borussia or Manchester City, Liverpool. In terms of rhythm, in terms of pace, these teams are miles ahead of Real Madrid. Better news for Barcelona this weekend, though. 5-2 win against Betis on Saturday. Messi started on the bench and finished with his first goal from open play this season and he got a penalty too. 
Yeah, I think that the game left a bitter taste on Barcelona because Ansu Fati had to had to be replaced in the halftime, and uh, what it looked to be just uh, just a little bit of pain in the knee uh, has turned out to be an injury in his meniscus. And on Monday, Ansu Fati had to undergo surgery in Barcelona for the meniscus in his left knee, and he's going to be out from three to five months, uh, which is a blow for Barcelona because Ansu Fati was the most refreshing new of the team this season. But, you know, there was also the chance of uh, having a conservative treatment with Ansu Fati, uh, getting him back on the pitch in a, mo- in a month time. But that would have been bad in the long run for Ansu Fati's career. It was better to, you know, for him to have surgery. And, uh, you know, even if he misses the rest of the season, which he won't, at the beginning of next season, he's going to be 18 years old. He's got the, the whole future ahead of him. So, yeah, good luck to him, to Ansu Fati. Then Lionel Messi, yes, as you said, he was on the bench against uh, Betis. And, uh, you know, it was very very easy to to get like easy conclusions from from that thing because uh, there has been a meme, uh, I don't know if you call it like that, like a three or five seconds clip in Spanish uh, media about Lionel Messi just not pressing a defender from Dinamo Kiev uh, in the last seconds of the game against Dinamo Kiev and Barcelona was winning the game just by a one goal margin. And, you know, he got uh, heavily criticized in social media for that. Uh, and then Kuman put him on the bench in the game against Betis. Well, uh, if Messi uh, wouldn't have played well against Betis, I guess that the controversy uh, between Kuman and Messi or the talks about the uh, bad relationship between Kuman and Messi would have carried on. But Messi played so well in the second half. He gave an assist without touching the ball, just jumping over the ball uh, to Griezmann to, to score. And then he, he scored an open play goal and a penalty and Barcelona won 5-2. So it was good for him. And uh, only one thing about Barcelona that maybe you don't know, uh, but... Uh, it's worth being mentioned. You know that there will be elections uh, for Barcelona Barcelona board uh, very soon, I believe that in January. Well, uh, the main favorite to win the elections is a guy called Victor Font. And one of the guys that he's going to work with him if he wins the elections is Tony Nadal, Rafael Nadal's coach until a couple of years ago which is something that I found quite interesting because, uh, you know, it's quite a switch passing from uh, from tennis to football. But yeah, uh, he will be responsible in a department created to to raise young academy players from a human point of view. It's a bit random. Yeah, sounds ace. You know, love that. Hope it's not a racket, etc. and so on. Um, last game we're <laughs> going to talk about Real Sociedad 2-0 against Granada. Sociedad going into the break, top of the Liga, but they're not really the story here, Alvaro, are they? It's Granada and their, their ravaged squad, which meant they just had four first-team players available for this. It's game. unbelievable. I mean, Real Sociedad did the job, considering, uh, but uh, it's uh, the story is on Granada, of course, because Granada... You know, on a Thursday before playing against um, Omonia in the Europa League, uh, they confirmed five positive cases of COVID-19. That, to La Liga, is an outbreak. And yeah, uh, Granada could play that game in Cyprus. They won in Cyprus. And later in the week, uh, more members of the squad uh, got infected. Even the manager, Diego Martinez, got the COVID-19. And in the light of the events, Granada requested the suspension of the game against Real Sociedad on Sunday. They requested that twice. La Liga said no. The Spanish FA said no as well. And uh, from that moment, the protocol of La Liga had to be enforced. And according to that protocol, the only players who could play in San Sebastián were those who had a negative PCR test, a positive antibody test, and those who did not travel to Cyprus. Well, Basically, fast forward to the weekend and Granada traveled to, to San Sebastián with seven professionals uh, in the match day squad. Uh, the seven of them started at Real Arena against Real Sociedad. But then in the halftime, two of those players were replaced, two of those professionals. The minimum needed for a game to take place is five professionals or first team players. Uh, Granada had five after the 45th minute and then uh, Jorge Molina got an injury. Uh, another uh, professional player and Granada was down to four of them so yeah now Granada are facing disciplinary action uh, for a breach of the protocols Uh, and uh, yeah uh, probably Real Sociedad is going to end up winning this game by a better scoreline 3-0 and Granada is also facing a fine Wow, sounds like they did well to keep it down to two in that case. Um, We're nearly done for the day, but let's have a look at a couple of Nations League games before we go. What's caught your eye, Jules? Portugal v France. It was 0-0 in Paris a month ago. 
Yeah, I guess that could be the um, the final of the group if you want. They, they we still have one game to play um, the following week against Sweden for France and, and Croatia for Portugal. But you think that the winner of this one, if there is a winner, could could qualify? They uh, shall be interesting, I think, so far because you tried loads of different things. We had a four four two with a diamond midfield. We had three at the back with like a 3-4-3 and a more flat 3-4-3 than one with a number 10 behind the two strikers as well and three at the back so he's tried a lot of things let's see what he does this time round it was quite a boring game in the nil-nil draw they were quite solid both of them it might be similar we've got injury worries with, with Mbappe who didn't play at the weekend or in Leipzig for PSG Deshaun is hoping he'll be back on Saturday same for Kipembe same for Pavard obviously as we said before he didn't play in the Classico so It'd be interesting to see what Deschamps, Deschamps does, but um, but that's there. That's the big one for us. Uh, Rafa, Germany against Ukraine might not be as easy as some might think. Ukraine beat Spain last time out. It did. I mean, I don't know quite how because uh, Germany also played Ukraine in that uh, international break. They were quite poor. Um, can only explain uh, in a way that Spain kind of took the game a little bit too uh, easy and just weren't quite at the races. But yeah, I mean, Germany, it's very difficult. Um, there's a lot of effort being made in making kind of the team more popular at the moment and making people respond to them. Um, last month, they put them all up in a special edition of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire for charity purposes uh, without a crowd. So it felt a little bit flat. I'm not sure it had the desired effect. The games are a little bit um, devoid of, of meaning at the moment, even in the in the Nation League. Difficult to get hugely excited. And even some of the players, um, I've been told, are not they're not that keen on really playing for Germany at the moment. Of course, they they understand the importance and they want to represent Germany, but it all feels a little bit like the sort of game you wouldn't mind missing. Uh, right now in November. Italy, Poland, James, what sort of shape are Italy in going into this one? <laughs> well, uh, Mancini has got COVID-19. Uh, he's asymptomatic, um, but uh, he will have to test negative before he can take charge of, of, of the team in Coviciano. Uh, they're training based in Florence so at the moment. His assistant, Alberigo Evani, uh, is in charge. He named 41 players uh, in his squad uh, and that has since been shaved to 18 um, because of uh, the restrictions that we, we touched upon earlier, um, which uh, doesn't make his job any easier. Uh, in fact, he had to adapt to that on our Sunday night because yeah, in some respects you had players dropping out through injury like AC Milan centre-back uh, Alessio Romagnoli, like uh, Angelo Ogbonna, for example. Um, and then he's, you have this kind of really weird staggered system of, of, of you know, the, the players who have, for example, Sassuolo players who've been in isolation, um, you know, they, they may be authorized to, to, to come to the training camp on Tuesday. So, you know, they don't have a manager. They don't have uh, a lot of their players. And uh, it's going to be really complicated. Uh, I think it begs the question, uh, aside from money uh, for, for federations who, you know, went so long without uh, without games uh, and certainly friendlies, uh, you know, why is this happening? Um, you know, the, the the international calendar is is, is so congested, um, and uh, we're living in kind of this unprecedented environment that yeah, these games feel quite frivolous, uh, really, um, and seem to be putting their players. Uh, under yet more duress in in a condensed season, and then you know, I mean, as I mentioned before, in Italy last uh, yeah last October, you had players going away, the most high profile of which was Cristiano Ronaldo, and coming back uh, positive uh, for COVID nineteen. So it's an interesting, it's a very mixed bag. I mean, in terms of where Italy are in their group, I mean, that win that they got in September. In Amsterdam was was huge for them. Uh, it then kind of was mitigated by the kind of draws that they had in Poland, uh, nil nil, and then the one one with uh, the Netherlands in the return game in in Bergamo. So delicately poised, I would say, Matt. Delicately poised. All right, that was a, a decent sell, as you say. Not much of an appetite for this break this year in particular, and probably not much of an appetite for Spain versus Switzerland. Alvaro, Spain not exactly free scoring at the moment. 
Absolutely, you're right. And the previous international week was a very disappointing one for Spain. They only scored one goal in three games. And that only goal came after a, a horrific mistake by Jan Sommer, the goalkeeper of Switzerland, uh, who basically gave the, the ball to the Spanish striker for, for him to, to pass it to another one. And uh, Oyarzabal scored. But, uh, you know, I think that... Uh, Luis Enrique, the Spanish manager, needs this time. Spain is under a huge transformation. I believe that Luis Enrique wants to make uh, Spanish football look a little bit more modern, um, more cagey, quicker, and uh, he's trying to do hard. And uh, I wonder if, uh, you know, that transformation that he's trying to trigger is going to come on time for the Euros because he, he has been changing the team a lot. Uh, for example, in this list that he gave on Friday, there are new players again, uh, the likes of Marcos Llorente, Coque is back after a couple of years, Hector Bellerin is here because it's true, Jesus Navas just uh, got an injury, but still, he's shaking the tree too much and I don't know if this is going to this is going to be good uh, in a medium term uh, so I believe that uh, yeah, the games are important for Spain because Luis Enrique wants to train more uh, there is a friendly against the Netherlands I know that uh, it's quite questionable to play friendlies uh, at the minute but at the same time the Spanish FA needs that money because that money that has a repercussion in uh, the Spanish third division it goes to the players, goes to the clubs as well and then uh, two Nations League games against Switzerland and Germany, well Spain depends on the, their own results to to make it to the to the finals of the Nations League. They just have to win two games. And let's finish with a question from Alexi Yavampai who asks, if players from big countries are absolutely tired after the club season, can Finland or some other small country win the Euros next summer? Alexi is Finnish, uh, as you might have guessed. Raf, we've been talking about it, you know, in leagues across Europe, that the title races are going to be more open this season because of the circumstances. I guess it would make sense, therefore, that something similar might apply to the Euros. Yeah, I don't think it's impossible. I mean, we saw in 2004 um, Greece winning at a time when the Champions League had only just moved back to a straight knockout. Uh, and I think there was still a, a knock-on effect of players getting injured uh, around the 2002 mark. Uh, when, when there was just too much football in, in those uh, couple of seasons. So I think it is possible. Of course, the best players, even at some of the smaller nations, would have probably played quite a few games as well. So if they then lose one or two of their best players, I guess the knock-on effect for them is worse than for the big teams who have more depth. So in theory, yes. But I think a lot of things would have to happen for uh, for a team of that category to truly actually win it. What do you think, Jules? Can you see uh, Amino causing an upset? Yeah, I'm all for like a small country like Italy to win it. To be fair, <laughs> I think they have a chance for once. I mean, if they you know if they can qualify. Um, no, I mean I I agree with Ralph though. I think even the smaller first nation players would play in the big leagues anyway and would have games every three days or, or four. So I don't know how much difference it would make, but. It's certainly, I think, we leave a very open tournament in this comes this you know comes the summer, and and probably the country will have the less injuries come the summer, or the the, the fresher players maybe. I think we'll have a big chance to go to go far. Also, teams like France, for example, they've got so many players that they can cap that uh, even if you know, for example, let's say that Rafael Varane is having a bad season. They've got so many centre-backs that they can resort to, you know. I mean, such a depth that uh, I find it very difficult that a new team uh, wins or gives a massive surprise now as it happened in 2004 with Greece. thing is, James, it, it just feels like it's light years away rather than essentially a couple of months away, doesn't it? So much can happen between now and next summer in terms of the state of the world as to whether we're actually going to get this, you know, tournament spread across different countries, uh, being played, being completed and, and having any kind of integrity about it. Yeah, I think maybe this is an answer to one of the questions that uh, I was posing just a few minutes ago as to why this is this is happening. I think uh, with uh, with the Nations League and the, the the friendlies at the moment is to show that international football around the continent is possible um, ahead of uh, ahead of the the proposed European Championships um, next summer. I mean, this is, if I'm not mistaken, the last international break um of of the year um yeah that's why we've we've been compressing what um all these all these internationals into into a couple of breaks 
um, and then it goes away again uh, for for a long time. And maybe by the time it comes back, the situation will be will be much improved um, with um, yeah the news of news yesterday of, of, of Pfizer and their their vaccine and it's ninety percent success rate. We just have to find a place where it's just cold enough to store these. Uh, uh, these vaccines and then roll them out on a industrial scale. But um, yeah, I, I think in some respects it's it, it is it, it will be on us sooner than we think. You know, in the blink of an eye. And uh, again, uh, Michel Platini could not have foreseen um, you know that uh, staging the competition in multiple countries was going to be the problem that it now now seems like but it's going to be very interesting to see if that format holds or for example whether we we end up doing something a little like what happened in the summer with the Champions League and the Europa League where we just say you know what it's it's better off if we just base base the, the countries in 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 one one nation and get it all done in two or three venues yeah, there you go, Lexi. Finland might win it, but let's just concentrate on actually getting the tournament played first of all. Um, that'll do us for today. Jimbo will be back with the gang in a fortnight's time. For now, though, my thanks to Jules, to Rafa, to James, to Alvaro, to producer Charlie, and to you, listener, of course. It's bye for now. We'll catch up again soon. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletics Football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Muddy Knees Media. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.